Hi, this is Don McPherson, your host of 12 Geniuses. Today, we welcome back my longtime friend and mentor, Doug Lennick, to the show to discuss the labor market. We also talk about the importance of understanding your employees' values and how to establish strong relationships with employees who are working remotely. This episode of 12 Geniuses is sponsored by the Think to Perform Research Institute, an organization committed to advancing moral, purposeful, and emotionally intelligent leadership. Doug, welcome back to 12 Geniuses. Let's start out by talking about the labor market. Recently on the show, we had futurist Rebecca Ryan join us. We talked about this shifting power dynamic at work where employees now have more power than employers do. And I wonder what your take on that assessment is. It depends a little bit on the employee, you know, and you see this in all kinds of disciplines. You certainly see it in athletics where they're publicized all the time. Everybody sees who gets to do what. And and it seems like the players in professional sports, the superstar players kind of dictate the game. And I think that's probably true also in business. I don't think the power has shifted to every employee, but I do think that certain employees can uh, wield the power now. They get to work on their terms. They get to work in the office if they want. They get to work out of the office if they want. They get to work anywhere in the world if they want because of the technology today allows for us to maintain communications without having to be in the same room. So those days are gone. I mean, not that they won't ever come back or not that they won't be back to a certain degree, but I don't think it'll be all or all or nothing anymore. So I understand that the superstar employees, using your analogy there, that they are able to dictate things on their own terms, but you're even seeing line-level workers not coming back and demanding higher wages and things of that nature. And that is a new dynamic. Certainly that didn't exist 18 months ago. That's true. And I, and I would say that part of that happened in that people were given government checks to not work. And that kind of empowered them a little. And then they started to realize that I get paid more not to work than I get paid to work. And so then they had to question, you know, why do I work anyway? And and I think those kinds of questions are going to be the ones that really determine where employees find themselves going forward. That, that's really an interesting point because you're talking about purpose. Why do I work? And if the only purpose for you working is a paycheck, there's something wrong. Yes, exactly right. And and in fact, if that's the only reason you were working and you get paid more not to work, then you ought not work. However, at some point, that gravy train, for lack of better terms, is going to run out. So I think it's going to be interesting to see as people reflect on, you know, what do I get out of the work that I do? If it's just a paycheck, that's an empty kind of a job anyway. But a lot of people, whether they're servers in restaurants, I mean, they they take great pleasure, great joy in bringing joy to their to their customers. They work to see the 
family have smiles on their faces. They, they like to see people enjoy their food and enjoy their time with one another and not have to concern themselves with serving themselves. They take pleasure in serving others. And for those folks, they've got a reason to work beyond the money. Back when the pandemic was starting, there seemed to be an incredible reassessment of values, simply because what we used to be able to do, we could no longer do. We were sheltering in place. And for a lot of us, you know, we temporarily lost a lot of our net worth and maybe some of us lost our jobs. And so we started to reevaluate our values and what was important to us. And I just want to get your take on the importance of knowing what your values are and knowing your employees' values, because I know that's something that you talk about a lot. Has that become more important since the pandemic has started, or is it always been at the same level of importance? I think it's accentuated because of the pandemic. I think that it was easy to lose sight of our own values. I, I know I personally got out of alignment during the pandemic. I found myself isolated. I didn't handle the isolation well. I'm, I'm one of those guys that actually likes to go to work. So I, I'm, I'm not somebody who likes waking up at work. I don't like going to bed at work. I like going to work and coming home. And I like having those be two different places. Having all of that blurred was was not terribly useful. But being in touch with values, I think, became even more important. And getting out of touch with one's own values became easier. And then it was easier to misalign my behaviors with my values because the values really hadn't changed but my behaviors had changed and i got out of alignment and so getting back in alignment is really critical and so i think values became even more important and understanding what other people value and then understanding how to connect with people everybody wants to be respected and one of the most respectful things one can do for another is understand their values and honor those values. And I think that helps create a sense of belonging and closeness, even in a virtual world. How do you start to have these conversations around what do you want for yourself or what are your values and get honest answers? Well, one of the things that I would recommend as it relates to getting in touch with values is having a dialogue. So when somebody says, I value family, happiness, wisdom, integrity, service, health, those happen to be mine, ask them what they mean. So when you say you value family, tell me about that. Why'd that make the list? And actually seeking to understand. One of the mistakes that can be made when discussing values with an employee is we can make the mistake of assuming we know what they mean when they use a word. And they may not mean the same thing. Like I had a meeting earlier this week, and we actually spent the first maybe 45 minutes, there were 16 people in the meeting, and the meeting was held outside, 
in order to meet protocol. And the values of the 16 people were all posted on posts, <laughs> of course. And what happened is each person went around and looked at the values and they tried to guess who picked which values. And then we had a discussion about that. And then each person got to get up and speak a little bit about what they chose and which one was most significant to them or however they cared to talk about it. And one of the women mentioned that she values wealth. And when she described her value of wealth, it wasn't about having money. It was about being able to afford to do things for other people. So for her, wealth represented this opportunity to support others that she could live generously and she could support people who needed help. So just hearing the word wealth could easily misunderstand what that means unless we take the time to say, so tell me, you know, why, why did you pick wealth? I want to direct the conversation toward remote work because this is something that you've been doing for decades now. You have dozens of employees around the country, and I know you just met with them in person for the first time in a long time last month, but this is something you're accustomed to. And even when you were at American Express, you had 17,000 people all around the country rolling up to you. So you're comfortable with this. But for a lot of leaders, this is something new, managing and leading remote employees. What advice do you have for people who are leading remotely? Because we're talking about what do you want for yourself and values and real intimate types of conversations. And I personally am more comfortable having these conversations in person. But that's not the reality for a lot of people right now. What advice do you have? Um, you need to talk to the camera because the, the people watching you, they see when you're talking to the camera, you're talking to them. When you're talking to the monitor, you're not talking to them. You know, and, and a lot of times what's happening is when we're doing virtual meetings, we have maybe 10, 12, 15 people on the screen. And so we're glancing around at the people and, and that is not very intimate. So you have to be willing to actually make love to the camera. You've got to be willing to be intimate, be vulnerable. And just as if you were there in person. And I've, over the years, got reasonably good at that. So when I was going through my little training yesterday in preparation for my own remarks at our upcoming conference, the guy was saying, you know, kudos. He says, I, you seem to just know how to do this. I said, well, that's nice of you to say, but I practiced a lot. <laughs> What's interesting about that is, you know, when we're on these Zoom calls, looking at the camera, you don't see how people are reacting. No. So generally, when we're looking at the monitor, we want to see how people are reacting to our message. But that's not intimate. That's not eye contact. So you are sacrificing the eye contact from the viewers or from the listeners so they can have eye contact from you. Correct. 
What, what other advice do you have for establishing this emotional connection? Well, one of the things that, in fact, I was reviewing this with a speech coach yesterday, how I think about this is when I am preparing for a presentation, regardless of how I'm delivering it, so if it's in person, if it's on a Zoom or a Microsoft team or whatever, if it's a, a webinar, if it's a podcast, whatever it is, I ask myself before I am presenting a series of questions. And the questions are the following. Number one, how do I want the people I am speaking with, how do I want them to feel emotionally as a result of hearing from me? How do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to think? And then what, if anything, do I want them to do? And then I ask myself, Doug, what, what do you have to think? And what do you have to do, regardless of how you feel, to help them experience what it is you want them to experience? And that preparation is very helpful. And sometimes I am very explicit. I will actually open my remarks by saying, here's what I'd like you to think as a result of what I'm sharing with you today. You know, I, I will probably open the conference and then I will close the conference. And I will say yesterday when I opened the conference, I shared with you that we had an outstanding program planned and that I wanted you to, to think exactly that, that this is going to be a great program. I, I, wanted, I asked you that yesterday and I wanted you to feel engaged. I wanted you to feel grateful for participating in this and I... I wanted you to, to feel appreciated. I wanted you to feel optimistic, and I wanted you to feel confident. And I said, and what I'd like you to do when you leave is be able to take some of what you heard, some of what you learned, and immediately put it to work so that you're not waiting for a year to go by or any period of time. You're actually using it. Well, here we are today. This is now the end of the conference. And what I want you to consider is consider assessing the conference with me, because that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to share with you my observations of what I heard from the various presenters and from various participants, conversations that I had in the hallways, observations of the audience while I participated as an observer. And I want to share with you what I took away. And what I hope happens is along with me, you are assessing this and you are seeing there is a real opportunity for me, me personally, you personally, to actually do something so that this is not just a feel good, this is a do good. And that's what I'm hoping happens. Any other final thoughts? No, I've enjoyed doing this. I, I wish our listeners well. And I encourage everybody to go ahead and look inside themselves. Look in, I like to do it with me and challenge myself to, to make today a good day and to make a positive difference today. Well, 
I always love having conversations with you. Thank you again for sitting here with me and sharing your wisdom. And thank you again for being a genius. <laughs> well, I'm glad you called me that so that I can, I can say somebody called me a genius. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to 12 Geniuses. During next week's interview, John Creasel will revisit the show. In season one, John shared his experience as a survivor of a devastating roadside bomb that earned him a purple heart during the Iraq war. This time, John reflects back 20 years to the attacks of 9-11 and the events that brought him to fight for his country a few years later. John's episode will be released September 7th, 2021. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a genius.